Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Can we thank Jess and these guys for leading us? Y'all are so wonderful. Man. Man, I love Sunday. I am so grateful for y'all being here this morning. It just does my heart well. I, I was on our way to church today uh, with just me and my middle son. And he talked about us coming to church every week together. And he said, he said, Dad, did your dad take you to church like this when you were a kid? I said, he did, buddy. And I, I said, I have so many memories from that time as a kid. So I pray that this is one of those for you. I pray that this is a memory, this place this space, this morning is one of those for you many years from now. So I want to thank y'all for being here this morning again, and welcome to the vessel. Um, I am excited about what we're going to do this morning as we have a lot to do. Um, and, and we're going to introduce this new series as we wrapped up our vision and talking about our mission, vision, and value. We're going to begin a series that we're calling Dear Church, and it is a series that we're going to do multiple times over the course of 2021 where we look at different letters to the church from um, in Scripture. Uh, a lot of you know in the New Testament, there are 27 books. Uh, some uh, Bible student in here could tell me that's correct. 27 books in the New Testament. And I believe that 21 of those 27 uh, books of the New Testament are letters. And they are, they are letters that are written from someone to someone. But on a grander scale, they are letters from the Lord to his church. And so we're going to be going through those letters and teaching through some of those different letters. They're, they're affected, we know them as epistles. So if you've been around in church before, they're known as epistles. I don't know why we, help, we call them epistles. We should just call them letters because that's what they are. And I want to encourage you to engage. Like this is a beautiful opportunity for you to engage with God's word. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to be talking through Philippians. And I, I, there's a guy that I listen to, this guy named Joe Foch. He's, uh, he's a pastor of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. And I don't agree with everything he says, but man, I love him. He is so awesome. And I listen to him almost weekly. And so Joe Foch talks about, um, he always says one thing, because he teaches straight from scripture. He says, don't take my word for it. And I want to encourage you the same thing. Everything I say here today, everything we read through over the next four weeks, don't take my word for it. Read through it from yourself. If you do not have a copy of Scripture, get one. Let me know. We have Bibles right back here on this table that you can take home with you. But I want to encourage you to read. I have several things that, are, um, that I'm reading through and that we're doing with this. So I'm reading through this book called Study Philippians, creatively called by N.T. Wright. Uh, no, this isn't N.T. Wright. This is Jason Dexter. And it's eight practical lessons about joyful, joyfully living for Christ. And so um, there's tons of studies out here. Here's what my, uh, the small group that Shay and I are part of with our young adults. We're doing this Max Licato book creatively titled Philippians. And so you can grab one of those. We have small group on Tuesday. I haven't read it yet, so I've got work to do. And then our women are doing another study. Yeah, starting tomorrow, right, Shay Shay? So that we have an online and an in-person. And so our, our online Bible study starts tomorrow, Monday evenings. You can see Shay Shay or go to vessel.church backslash women, and you can sign up there. 
or our Tuesday that is in person here at the YMCA, correct? Nope. At Lamppost Coffee. Don't listen to me. But they're reading through another study creatively titled Philippians, Discovering Joy Through Relationships. So whatever it is and however you're reading through it and on whatever level you're engaging, I want to encourage you to read through Scripture over the next four weeks. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece of Scripture. So that's my plug for you to get involved, to not just come on Sunday and listen to me talk and speak, to really engage with God's Word, really engage with God's Word. So Philippians is, as I said, a letter. And so as we, as we look through this, I think it's important for us to think about what is in a letter and why, and when you read a letter, what is it like to read a letter? Because a lot of times we look at Scripture and we think about it so informationally based. We think it's, it's information I want to read. And it's going to tell me what to do with my life. And I've compared it before. We, it's like an instruction booklet. Or don't put my love letter to Shea up there yet, Jacob. I see all the eyes behind. I see no one listening, everyone reading my love letter to Shay. Okay, if it's stuck up there, you can leave it. So, spoiler alert, I'm going to read a love letter to Shay from me. But when you read a letter, which is a good point, you can put it up there, Jacob, but no one can read it. This is private. This is from me to Shay. I will read it together. So if you hold on. So in a letter, you're not reading for information. And emails change. This is an email from 2005, which email is a little bit different back then than it is now. It's become much more informational. But when you write a letter to someone, you're not necessarily writing them information. While there's information in there, what you're writing to is you're, you're typically writing from your heart to their heart. You want to show them how you feel. You want them to understand where you're coming from. And so if 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament are letters, we have to read it with that same heart. We have to understand that it is not, while our theology, and there's so many good things about it, that there's, it's like, Reed and I were talking about before service, it's like you're opening someone else's mail. And so that's really at the heart of a letter. So as a great example, I'm going to read a love letter from Jake Toman to Shea Boren, so um, back on May 25th of 2005. So I have it up here. You can get a little peek in, and I, I'm going to read this and not cry because I was realizing uh, March 12th will be 15 years that we're married. Yeah, amen. 12 days from now, we'll be married 15 years. And on March 12th, we will be in Hawaii. We will not be here in this room. You can clap for that too, even if you're jealous. So we'll be married 15 years uh, this March. And so let me read this letter to you. When I told you I was going to read a love letter, she's like, who wrote it? I said, I did. She's like, okay, you can read it. So it says, well, I made it back safe and sound. I was really sleepy a couple of times, but it was never too bad. Shay, I am so glad that I came to Maybe you should read it for yourself. Say, I'm so glad I came to see you yesterday. And even though I am bummed about not seeing you all summer, I'm very excited about our near future together. Shay, I'll be praying for you and us every day while I'm away from you. I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. And that makes me so happy. I hope slash know that you feel the same way. Shay, I know that God has amazing plans for us this summer. I'm excited to see how he is going to work in my life and your life. The funny thing is, 
is that I know that he will bring us closer together this summer, even though we will be thousands, thousands, be thousands of miles away. Shay, you are the most important person in my life. And typo, I love you with all of my heart. I'm so thankful that God has blessed me beyond my biggest hopes and expectations. Like I said, he knows me better than I know myself. I'm so excited to become part of your family and for them to become a part of my life. I hope that your dad and mom approve of me as a son-in-law. If you're engaged right now or want to be engaged, you know how important that is. Um, and I really hope that I will have a significant relationship with them. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I know I'm carrying on and I just thought, I, but I just thought and prayed a lot about us on the way home. And I know God has an amazing road before us in our life together. Amen, Shay. I pray that we will always seek his guidance and always keep him as the center of our lives and family, Jake. This is, I promise this is not about, I'm making this about me. I'm sorry uh, about the emotion. So I want you to look at this and think about a letter, right? This is written from me to Shay. And there's information here between the person that wrote the letter and the person that received the letter that you're reading into. And there's details that are understood between she and I that you may not understood, you, you may not understand as a first-time reader. What are some things, and this is going to be super interactive, so what are some things you notice about this letter? I need spell check. Thank you, Jenna, Craig. I need spell check. What did you say, Jana, Janet? It's not what? Thank you. It's not bad grammar, Janet. Thank you so Oh, it is bad grammar. I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. It's bad grammar. What else? What else? What other details here that maybe we're separated? We're away from one another right now. Okay, what else? I love her. I'm in love. What else? I'm praying to God. It's from the heart. What else do you know? What other details might be unspoken? I'm looking for acceptance. Melissa? <laughs> Apparently, I'm emailing her at her work email, right? You can look. Even the subject is from me to Shea Born. You can see we're not married yet, right? She's born, not Toman. Right? You can see, yeah, she's in Keller ISD. If you know anything about location, you know that Keller ISD is not in Austin, Texas, right? If you know anything about my life in 2005, I was a student at the University of Texas. So you can understand that there's distance between us. I talk about the summer. I talk about us being thousands of miles apart. You can assume somehow we're going to be separated for the duration of the summer, right? You can understand that there's some sort of we're beyond dating, I would hope, if I'm talking about being a son-in-law, right? You can tell I've just seen her and I've traveled. This is the day after I proposed to Shay. So I... I this is how on a whim I am. I woke up that morning. I decided that day I wanted to marry her. I went, then I drove to the jewelry store. I bought a ring. Then I drove to Liberty Hill and I asked her dad. Michael's looking at me like, you're nuts. <laughs> I asked her dad if I, if I could marry her that day. I drove to Fort Worth. I proposed to her in the living room of her apartment. And I drove back that next morning. She got up for school. I stayed with her aunt. I drove back that next morning. On May 26th, I left for Brazil for three months to study abroad. So that's the context of what's going on here. And so 
reading a letter, and when we read a letter like Philippians, we understand there's more to it than that there's more depth there that we don't always understand. We have to understand that our letter is written from someone to someone else. There's things that are unspoken. There's things that are understood. There's a history. There's space. There's time. There's culture. There's so many things going on. So when we look, when we go through this summer on this Dear Church kind of journey, I want to encourage you to really read beyond and read deeper to the truth. And it's about the heart, right? If you can say whatever you want about this letter, but boy, was I in love, right? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was in love, and I loved her, and I, I, I expressed it as best I could in an email. So the end of my love letter to Shay. So I'm, we're going to read through Philippians, and so in the next four weeks. So today we're going to read through the entirety of chapter 1. So it's going to be a lot of Scripture, but I want you to keep that in mind. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in, and we're going we're gonna to roll right through. Dear Lord, I thank you for Shay Toman. God, I thank you for love. God, I thank you, as your word says in 1 John, you are love. God, that there's love is not measurable. It's not reproducible. It's not scientific. God, it is not a quantitative measure of something. But God, it is one of the most real things that we will ever experience. And there's no greater love than this, that you lay down your life for ours. And Jesus, that you loved us while we were broken and lost and sinners, that you loved us so much that you came out of your throne, you became flesh, you dwelt among us, and you bought our lives. God, I pray, Jesus, that anyone in here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, would your word cut to the depths of their soul through bone and marrow. God, would you pierce their heart. God, the good news of how much you love. God, I thank you for the opportunity for us just to experience and taste even a sliver of that love here on earth. God, I pray for Philippians. Lord, I thank you for the letter that was written when it was written. And God, and I pray that you speak through that letter to the vessel and to each one of us right now. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's read through Philippians 1. I'm reading through the uh, NIV, so if you have another translation, that's fine as well. So I'm going to read through, we're going to pause, and we're going to look at a few things. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. This is the introduction and the conclusion all into one. They say who's writing it and who they're writing it to. It's Paul and Timothy. They say they're servants of Christ. They're writing to the Lord's people in Philippi, the church in Philippi, and they're writing it together to the church and the elders and deacons of that church. And he says this in verse two, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending uh, I am changed or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for you, for all of you, with affection and Christ, of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. We're going to pause there. So Paul begins this letter to this church in Philippi. There's details here that you can read about in Acts chapter 16. So if you want to know more about Paul and his relationship with the church in in Philippi, go read Acts 16. It tells you exactly his interaction and how this church started. It talks about Lydia and these women and Paul casting out these demons and being imprisoned. And there's details here. We understand that Paul is in jail when he's writing this. He's in a Roman jail sending a letter to a church in Philippi. And so he shows his cards right out of the gate. Is that I, I, I mentioned to you a couple of these, but like this that the women are doing is called discovering the subtitles, discovering joy through relationship. This one says eight practical lessons about joyfully living for Christ. Right out of the gate, Paul shows his hands. He plays his cards. And Philippians is a letter about joy. Is a letter about joy. This week, next week, the week after, when we finish out this series, you're going to see again and again, joy, 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 joy. It is the secret sauce of this letter. It is this, the secret sauce of our faith. It's when you, when you see it, when you taste it, you know what it is. It's like when you drink a Coke or you drink continental cola or whatever knockoff sauce. When you taste Coke, you know what it is. You know the flavor. You know it tastes right. And the same is true about joy. And so, so Paul, right out of the gate, shows the importance of joy as a Christ follower. And, and the truth is this, and you're going to see this over the course of the next four weeks, is that true joy only comes from Jesus Christ. Joy is often talked about in our world. There's lots of things that emulate and imitate true joy. We talk about joy during Christmas time. We talk about what it means to be a joyful person. Right? But true, real deal joy only comes through Jesus Christ. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the joy that you taste is not the real thing. And so Paul shows his hand right out of the gate. So I want to look specifically at joy through this letter. So in this first part that we just read, we can see joy in thanksgiving. Joy in thanksgiving. Verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers of you, I always pray with? you got to say it. Like, that's not a very joyful. There you go. All right, so verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I always pray with? Yes, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul starts his letter with this word of thanksgiving, and true thanksgiving is fueled by joy. Joy is the match that ignites thanksgiving. You know, we celebrate Thanksgiving as a holiday every year, and I don't know if your family does, but, you know, some families go around and they say, what is one thing you're thankful for? Do y'all do that? Y'all do that? Yes, some people do that. What's one thing you're thankful for? And some people are like, uh, I'm thankful for, oh, family. Yeah, we're all here. Thankful for family and for food and football. Oh, you know, like, or, or whatever. It's like this, is that true Thanksgiving? No, it's an exercise in Thanksgiving. 
It's saying we should be thankful. Today is a day about Thanksgiving. We should exercise Thanksgiving by writing these things down or saying these things that we should be thankful for. But true Thanksgiving at the core and at the heart of true Thanksgiving is joy, is joy. And Paul writes, you're going to see every letter that he writes in the New Testament to the church uh, and that the Lord pins and the Holy Spirit writes through him. It always begins with Thanksgiving. And that is a biblical that is a biblical concept. So this past Friday, we had an elders meeting, and, and we met, and, and we talked about some things, but really we began with prayer, and we looked at our, kind of our vision, our, our inward relationship with one another, our outward relationship with the world, and our upward relationship with the Lord, and we just started, Joe kind of opened us up, and he said, let's just take some time to pray through our vision, and we had all of our, we had every name, every one of you, your name was written down on the page. It was sitting right in the middle of our table, and we started thanking God. And it was really evident, really click, quickly, that we had to wrap this up, because we could have gone for the two hours that we were meeting to only thank God for this church, for these people. And I mean, I want you to know, we spoke you by name. Thank you, God. For this church. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for the relationship that they have with one another. God, thank you for Sunday mornings, us being gathered together as your people. Thank you. And we, like I, I told Audrey as she came in, uh, today is her birthday, so I'll definitely call her out. I told her, but I saw Audrey. So I was like, man, thank you, Lord, for Audrey, for jumping in and for being such a joy here at the vessel, for serving with students. Man, thank you, God, for her. And, and I just want you to know, like, it's this prayer of thanksgiving. And that's a biblical concept. Psalm 100 says that we are to enter his courts with thanksgiving. So when we think about Old Testament presence of God, biblical stuff, that there, there, was a, there, were, there was a step and a process to get to the presence of God. There's the inner courts, there are the outer courts. There, there were all of these different holy places and so the, the outer courts, it says we're to enter his outer courts with thanksgiving. It's opening a gate and walking in. The first thing that we are to bring is thanksgiving. And true thanksgiving is joy, is fueled by joy. It's why on Sunday mornings we come in here and we worship and we sing and we thank God. And you don't feel it sometimes. You don't feel thankful. You're not thankful. Something bad is going on. I'm distracted. My kids are little twerps this morning as we were getting them dressed. Whatever it is, but we sing it because biblically we enter his course with thanksgiving. I'm a part of a uh, men's discipleship group. We meet every Wednesday night. And so we start the same way every week. The first question is always the same. It says, what are you celebrating? Before we open in prayer, we say, what do you celebrate? And we all go and share what we're celebrating that the Lord's doing right now in our life. Then we stop and we thank God. It's the first thing we do. It's by design and it's biblical. Thanksgiving, joy and thanksgiving. The second thing we see here, man, we're gonna have to move along. Verse 12 says this. Blah, blah, blah. Thank you, Scott. Before we read, I want you to know it's joy in circumstances. Go ahead and put that up there. Jacob, join circumstances. I'm about to read Paul's circumstances. Before I do, I want to ask you, what are the circumstances in your life right now? What are your circumstances? And, and if you've got your journal out, you should journal. I journal every single day. I have that right here as well. Um, write them down. What are the circumstances of your life right now? Your family. What are the circumstances of your work? What's going on in your life that you're really excited about? What's going on in your life that you're really struggling with? 
What are you uncertain about? And what are, who in your life is sick? Where's the hurt? Where's their pain? Where's their disappointment? You have circumstances right now. And God calls us to have joy in circumstances. Philippians 1 verse 12 says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually happened, has actually served the advanced. I'm going to read here out of my Bible. Now what I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach the gospel out of envy or rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put there for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what, is it, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Is it true joy? And what Paul is telling us here in this letter and what he's writing to us is that we're to have joy in our circumstances. Paul is in prison. Paul is in a jail cell right now. He doesn't know. This isn't, this isn't a sentencing where you're going to do so many months in prison. It's either they're going to let you out or you're going to die. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He says, man, I'm in chains for the gospel. I'm in chains for Christ. Because I'm here, because of my circumstances, Christ is being known and the gospel is being defended and advancing because of where I am and the circumstances where I am. And I know some of your circumstances in this room. I know what's going on in your lives. And I want you to know that those are hard, but true joy transcends our circumstances. Shelby and I talked this morning is that both of our mothers are fighting cancer right now. And she shared like what peace and joy she has despite those circumstances. And we were able to talk about that with one another. That man, despite us going through this time where there's a lot of uncertainty and we're hurting for our, our parents I think, man, how good is God? How much peace and joy do we have in those circumstances? And many of us feel this way. And I think one of the greatest things that plagues the Christian American church that we know it as today, and not the vessel, not not the vessel, so don't you're not uh, disregarded from this, but the church as a whole is the idea of comfort. We have such a desire for comfort. We seek comfort. And we flee from pain. We flee from difficulty. And we make decisions and we do things to avoid pain and to embrace comfort. And I want you to know, man, wait, you're, we're in a gymnasium right now, right? Someone put out your chair. Like you, you, you know, at some level we get off the hook a little bit. But the truth is, is that this is the opposite of what a life in Jesus Christ looks like. The life of Christ is not one that's seeking comfort and avoiding pain. A life in Christ is having joy despite our circumstances to go after the Lord no matter what. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. James chapter 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
And God gave me a revelation this week. I used to think that one of the most powerful motivators for our faith was desperation. I've seen people get desperate in their faith. And I've seen God do amazing things in that moment. Think about the woman that was bleeding that just reached out to touch the cloak, the the bottom of his robe. And that's desperation. She's desperate for anything. And her faith healed her because out of her desperation. Think about those those that lowered their friend through the roof and dug a hole in the roof. Have you ever seen The Chosen? Oh my gosh, it's a beautiful scene. They're lowering through the roof so that he could just be in the presence of Jesus and be healed. That's desperation. I used to think that that was one of, if not the most powerful motivators for our faith. But as I've looked at this scripture and I've read through Philippians, I realize that joy is the greatest motivator of our faith. And if we get true joy in Christ, we can face any circumstance. We can look death and the eyes, and have joy in Christ, have peace in Christ. Man, that that is the greatest motivator of our faith. You know, um, it's hard to see those things sometimes. This past week, I was with Keller, and uh, Keller had a little buddy, and they were playing, and we went to lunch. I took these boys to lunch, and we were sitting at lunch, and we were at Freddy's, and, and I bought him ice cream, and we were sitting there. And interesting enough, uh, his friend, uh, the conversation got brought up of a, of a family member that had passed away that had died. And so his friend shared that. And so we began talking about death and specifically about this death of this loved family member. And we talked about how this person's in heaven and how the time they got here and all the goodness. And I told him, I was like, yeah. I was like, man, the Lord works for the good of those called according to his will. And he can work good even in really difficult situations. And this eight-year-old boy asked this questions. He said, how could God use that? but he didn't ask it in a doubting, broken, bitter way. He wasn't saying, how could God use that? He was genuinely asking in a wonderment, miraculous, reflective way, like, how could God use that? How good is a God that could take even this this sad family member that I love that's gone and use that for his kingdom? Man, we've got to ask that same question. Walking through difficult circumstances, man, God, how are you going to use this? I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't know a path. I can't manipulate variables enough to see it. But God, how are you working here? And to trust him in that. The next thing we see is, um, we'll, we'll read through. We'll continue reading. Verse 18 says this. Says, but what does it matter? And he finishes up saying, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this would mean fruitful labor for me, Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convicted of this, I know that I will remain and that I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You see that not only do we have joy in thanksgiving, not only is there joy in our circumstances, but biblical kingdom joy. There's joy in life and death. 
And it's one of those lines, this scripture, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you don't have to be in church long to, to memorize that scripture. You just know it. It's one of the ones that we know that Paul says that either way, to live is Christ, to die is gain, that it's for him, it's good. That whether it's physical life or our physical death, that that's his gain. Whether it's to go on living here in the spiritual life he has in Jesus Christ, that that is gain. And he has joy in either one of those, whichever outcome the Lord has for him. That there's joy in life and in death. Um, about midway through COVID this summer, my grandmother, who turned 91 last week, uh, called me. She's in an assisted living home, and um, she's been isolated. So not only in their assisted living home where they isolate from people coming in, but they, in, in order to not have COVID spread through their facility, they had them isolated from one another and from staff. So she went through months of being by herself at 90 years old. And she called me midsummer, and she was crying. She said, I, I want to go. She said, I'm ready. And she said, I feel guilty and rotten about that and selfish. And she said, is that, and she threw tears. My grandmother said, is that wrong of me to want to be done? I was like, Ma, I was like, no. Philippians 1, that's the way Paul felt. That's how Paul felt. He was ready to go. And I told her, I said, if you're still here, I said, there's purpose in your life. And I know it's hard to see now, but that's not a selfish desire to go. But God still has use for that vessel. God has still has use for us. Verse 25, convicted of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and for joy in the faith that Paul himself saw himself as a servant of Christ. It's literally how he opens his letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Paul found joy in his servitude to the kingdom. That whether it's life or whether it's death, he found joy in it. And so he puts these two things on the table and he considers them out loud in this letter. He says, spiritual life versus physical death, which is better, I do not know. And the truth is, and this is, I want to push and I want you to consider the truth is, is that we have more fear over our physical death than the joy that we have in our spiritual life. We have more fear over our physical death than the joy that we have in our spiritual lives. And we live these lives where we're afraid of death. And I'm not saying that we should be careless and reckless that we don't realize that our eternal life in Jesus Christ doesn't begin the moment of death. We're not giving it a last hurrah here as long as we can so that we can start our eternal life. The moment of salvation, you get eternal life. That if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you're an eternal being right now. You don't have to wait for your eternity to start. It's now. And I want you to know, if you don't know Jesus, that is the gift of Christ. That's the gift of Christ that overcomes death itself. And for many of us, that's the thing that's stopping us. Our fear, there's a greater fear of our physical death than there is joy in our spiritual life. And that's preventing us. And we don't know what it truly means to live a life abundant in Jesus because we don't have joy over that life that's been given to us. And the last is this, is joy and unity. And this is one of our core values here at The Vessel. And we'll close with this. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Paul finishes chapter 1 by saying, Whatever happens, 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggles you saw that I, that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That Paul closes chapter one by telling us that we have joy in our unity. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves. That's us. In a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And that unity being one of our core values is so important here that we are called to stand arm in arm and have joy in that, that we find joy in our relationship with one another, to keep one another accountable, to keep spurring one another on towards good, towards good news. And consider this, Paul is writing about unity that he has with this church. He's 600 miles away in a Roman prison from these people. How can he have unity with these people? If we go back to my love letter to Shay, my hope and my prayer, my excitement is despite being thousands of miles away, that God would bring us closer, that we would be unified. And I was excited about that. You see, we often, I've said this before, we confuse proximity with unity. And being near somebody is not the same as being unified with somebody. And we think, if I just come to church, if I'm just here, if I'm just around, if I just get in proximity with another person, then I'm unified with them. Man, but that's not truly being known. That, that distance does not define unity. Being close to someone physically doesn't define unity. Many of you know this because you're married. And you've been in times where you feel separated and distanced from your spouse that's sleeping the next pillow over. And you know how difficult and how hard that can be. Is that proximity is not unity. And the church is really good at this. In our men's discipleship group, I'll close with this that I was telling you about. One thing that we started out is we're sharing our testimony with one another. And each week we have a goal. Each week we have a goal. And our, our goal this week for my, the discipleship group I'm a part of is what, Corey? What's our goal this week? Do you remember? To ask someone else their story. That's our only goal this week. That's our homework this week. To ask someone else their story. To ask them their testimony. Because the truth is, and Dustin and I talked about this before, church. Man, true love is to be known. Is to be known and have someone know you. And it brings us together in unity. So what I want us to do is I'm going to close this in prayer. And I want to encourage you one thing. I'm going to pray through these four things. And, and I want every person you have to choose you got to choose. There's no choice. You choose Thanksgiving. You choose circumstance. You choose life in Christ. And you choose, what was the last one? Unity. And I want to pray for you. And what are you asking for? Where do you need joy? Are you having a hard time truly being thankful? Are you having a really difficult time in your circumstance? Are you struggling with a greater fear of death than a joy in having his life in Christ? Or do you need unity?
do you need to be known? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for each one of those, and I'm going to go one by one. And when I said, when I go through the one that you're, that's choosing for you, we're going to bow our heads. I just want you to raise your hand, and you can just raise your hand. I'll pray for you. When I'm done praying, I'll say amen. You can put your hand down. So let's bow our heads, and I'm going to pray through this for us. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.